Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Uh, joining me here in studio in 1285 Avenue of the Americas in New York City. Glad to welcome back from the UBS Chief Investment Office, Brian Rose. Brian serves as the Senior Economist for the Americas with UBS CIO. Also glad to have from our partners at Columbia Threadneedle Investments, Ed Kirshner. Ed serves as Chief Portfolio Strategist for the firm. Brian, Ed, it's great to be with you both. Thank you for spending some time with our listeners, our clients. Looking forward to the conversation. Thanks. It's great to be back at 1285. As some of you might know, I spent about 22 years uh, working here, so uh, good to be in my old hunting grounds. Great to have you back, Brian. Nice to be with you in person as well. Thanks, Dan. Good to see you in person, yeah. Absolutely. So with the very fluid market-moving macro environment, Brian and Ed, they're going to spend some time with us today sharing their views and thoughts around the state of the U.S. economy, the road ahead for monetary policy, as well as investment implications to be mindful of. So looking forward to a wide-ranging, productive conversation. With that, Ed, as a starting point, can you maybe speak a bit to how you would characterize the health of the U.S. economy as it stands today? Granted, a lot of fluid developments we're tracking, but what are your thoughts about where we are today and is a recession still on the horizon? What are the prospects at this point? Yeah, those are two crucial and different questions. State of the economy today is actually in very good shape. If you look current business conditions, they're right around trend growth. Now, if you look at overall conditions, they're buoyed by a really strong consumer. Business conditions are weakening. But by no definition are we in a recession today. Uh, GDP is growing. Unemployment is low. Capacity utilization is high. Going forward, um, we're probably headed to recession. And um, I say that because if you look at the, the best model we know of to forecast recession actually comes from the New York Fed. And their model in November of last year began, signaled inflation, excuse me, signaled recession. It's a lead indicator of about six to 18 months. So recession someplace between May of this year starting or May, May of next year. And since that signal, the likelihood, the actual the probability of recession has been trending fast higher. In fact, we're at the highest probability recession in their model since the early 80s when Volcker was trying to assault double-digit inflation. So good news. Uh, data says we're definitely not in any recession. The economy buoyed by the consumer is strong. Bad news, we are very likely headed to recession. Brian, to follow on that from CIO's vantage point, thoughts on the economy as it stands today and the timing and perhaps even the severity of a recession down the pike. So, yeah, it is interesting. Even before the recent stress in the financial system, consensus has seen very high recession risk. So if you look at the Bloomberg consensus, around 60% chance that recession will start within 12 months, which is unusual given how strong the economy is. Right now, and a lot of that reflects the fact that the Fed has raised rates very aggressively. So if you had asked me, you know, 12 months ago, the Fed's going to raise rates 4.5% within a year, how's the economy going to do? I would have thought, well, you know, there's probably going to be a recession if they raise rates that much. And as it turns out, the, the economy's been very resilient to those uh, rate hikes. But the the fundamental problem you have is inflation is too high. The Fed will keep raising rates until... Inflation comes down, and it's very hard for inflation to come down un- unless the economy slows. So in some sense, you know, a slowdown is, is inevitable because 
Uh, if it doesn't happen on its own, the Fed will, will trigger it through more rate hikes. So it's actually timely when we're having this conversation. We're speaking here on March 21st. The Fed is actually meeting as we speak. We'll be hearing from them with the Fed statement, the rate decision tomorrow, and we'll get a bit further into monetary policy a few moments further into the conversation. I, I want to talk about inflation, Brian. I know we've spoken about this a lot over the past year, but Ed, just to get your thoughts on inflation, just thinking about the past two months, they've delivered relatively strong prints. Are we experiencing, in your view, the term sticky inflation, and how do you see the inflation picture evolving from here? Inflation, use the right word, it's sticky because um, if you look at PC, personal consumption expenditures, which is the Fed's favorite number for inflation, um, inflation has, again, it's bipolar. You've got um, business or or goods inflation uh, roughly at 2.8%, which is the good news. But you've got services inflation at 5.4% which is the bad news. And 70% of personal consumption expenditures are services. We're a service economy. So um, we have an inflation problem, as as Brian said, um, because, one, everyone's working. Unemployment's near a 50-year low. And uh, curiously, the the fiscal stimulus, the government sent out checks to fight inflation. Someone's still going to have to explain to me how that was supposed to work. So we had a lot of fiscal stimulus. Everyone's working. Um, and therefore, there's an excess of demands for goods, particularly services. And the Fed is fighting that battle. What about your thoughts, Brian, on how the inflation story progresses from here? As Ed pointed out, kind of a tale of two stories, depending on how you look at it. But how do you see this progressing through the balance of 2023? One way or another, inflation will slow. Like I said, this has always been our view that the Fed would not tolerate sustained high inflation, and as we've seen, inflation surprised to the upsides, and they've they've just been uh, you know they just continue to to, to raise rates, and uh, you know there is some reason for optimism in in the sense that a lot of the service inflation is from shelter, and we know f- from more recent data that you know the rent inflation is slowing, so uh, this will show up in in uh, CPI especially. In the months ahead, this will help to bring overall in inflation down. But you know, clearly, inflation has continued to surprise to the upside. It's way above the Fed's target, so it gives them you know a very strong incentive to to keep going on the rate hikes. I'm not Pollyanna, but and but Powell always says this: long-term expectations are well grounded. What does that mean? Well, if you look at uh, for example, there's something called the five-year five-year forwards. I didn't know about this till a few years ago. There's actually a trade on inflation. It's not tips. It's what will inflation be five years from now over the next five years. It's trading around 2%. If you look at the Cleveland Fed model for 10-year inflation, it's 2.2%. So, I mean, this this is what Powell's harping on rightly, which is long-term expectations are well-grounded. I don't want to lose control of that. So that's why he's going to have to be aggressive enough to get current inflation down and not, you know, be weak and lose that credibility and then have to rebuild it. How does the labor market factor in here? How do you feel that the Fed is solving for that just in consideration, Ed, of the labor market here in the U.S. being such a bright spot, as you pointed out, you know, even extending back into last year, but even today? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, here's the, That's the problem the Fed is it's going to be hard to fix. Um, unemployment around 3.5%, which is still near a 50-year low, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, the problem is, um, you use the word sticky. Well, laying people off is sticky. That you're afraid that you're not going to be able to hire someone. There's, um, right now, there's 0.5 workers for every open job. 
to give you an idea, at the peak of the pandemic, there were five workers. At the peak of the global financial crisis, there were six and a half. So, you know, you're afraid if you lay someone off and then you need them in a year, they're not going to be there. And the, the other problem is um, we don't have enough workers. The projected growth in labor force this decade is around 1.7%, half immigration, half procreation. And frankly, we don't have enough. We're not procreating enough. Um, you need 2.6 kids to replace yourself. And to the extent we're doing it, we're, we're doing it later. I mean, my kids are having kids at 40. I, I had teenagers when I was 40. I didn't birth them that way, but they, they turned, you know, teenagers. So you've got this situation where you don't have enough workers. Um, and demo, because of demographics, workers are retiring. The labor force participation rate has been declining since 2007. And, and the reason is totally retirement of, you know, 65 to 74-year-olds. So the Fed's not going to be able to create more workers. They can't solve the problem that way. They have to basically put people out of work so prices don't go up um, and labor um, becomes unsticky. Well, definitely different times with respect to demographic trends, said as you pointed out. And I'm curious, Brian, how you feel the Fed is thinking about the labor market when it comes to their monetary policy decision-making. What are your thoughts on the labor market today and how it might progress through the balance of the year? Well, they have put a lot of emphasis on the labor market. This is clear. I think, uh, you know, to the extent that you could see a situation where inflation, you know, even inflation wasn't as high as it was because the labor market is so tight, it would push the Fed to to raise rates. So the Fed Chair Powell has talked a lot about this uh, same imbalance between job openings and unemployed people who could potentially fill them. They want to see much better balance. And fundamentally, you know, if you're asking, is the Fed on track to hit its inflation target? With wage growth where it is today, you'd have to say no. They need the labor market to soften. They need wage growth to slow in order to sustainably hit the hit the target. With respect to tomorrow's rate decision, I'm sure many of our listeners will be listening to this conversation after the Fed has made and announced their decision tomorrow, Wednesday, March 22nd. But have to ask your expectations for the most recent decision tomorrow. Maybe even more of an interesting question, what might a pause be indicative of if that is, in fact, the decision? And where do you see monetary policy going from here, Ed, through the balance of the year? A pause would be indicative of... Uh Mr. Powell and his colleagues not learning from history. You know, everyone treats Volcker as if he was um, a god because he he tightened enough, he raised rates, and in 1981 he killed inflation. Very few people remember that, and I, I was around back then, I was around here at Payne Webber slash UBS, he messed up at first. He raised rates in 80, and as soon as inflation peaked, they cut rates. But inflation wasn't going down. So initially, the stock market rallied, the bond market rallied, they loved the news, and then inflation was still double digit. And that's when bond yields, the bond market vigilantes took over, and bond yields went to 16%, and stock market PEs fell, market went down. And Volcker had to now reestablish credibility that, in fact, he was an effective inflation fighter. He raised Fed funds to 20%. Bear market in stocks, bonds eventually rallied, but we had the worst recession in post-war, post-World War II history. So, I mean, that's why he keeps talking about higher for longer. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Volcker knows, excuse me, Powell knows the Volcker mistake. And if he pivots prematurely tomorrow, um, it's malfeasance. So what do you think, 25 basis points tomorrow? 
Um, I don't think t- whether it's 25 or 50 matters. Um, I think what matters the most is everyone agrees, and sometimes everyone is right, is the press conference. Is he, as Brian's talking about, is he going to stick to fighting inflation? Okay? Because that, I mean, that's what he's got to do. There's no simple solution. I mean, you have to have recession. You have to have less production of goods. And most importantly, you have to create an excess of labor. Remember, a recession is not simply, by definition, two quarters of negative economic GDP growth. It's what the National Bureau of Economic Research says it is. And if you look at their website, it's it's weak economic growth accompanied by excess of labor capacity and excess of industrial capacity. We don't have that. So hopefully um, we're not going to see the pivot tomorrow in his language or in their actions. We'll learn a lot more in 24 hours. But, Brian, I'm sure you'll be joining us, whether it's a podcast or a video with my colleague, Anthony Pastore, to break down the latest tomorrow. But heading into it, expectations for tomorrow, Brian, as well as expectations for the course of monetary policy through the balance of the year. So I think Fed is likely to raise rates tomorrow. And even if they don't, even if they, they end up pausing, the message will be the same, which is that they still expect to hike further this year. So whether they go tomorrow or not, the message I think will be the same: is that we we're not done. Inflation is too high, and we need to we need to raise rates further. The reason to consider pausing is the stress in the financial system. Do you really want to, you know, uh, take that risk of adding to that stress? But given uh, you know S P five hundred is near four thousand as we speak, uh, you know financial markets are. Uh, this uh, solid, they'll, they'll probably be okay to mm-hmm. the hike. Well, be, ca- be careful of what I call unintended consequences. You know, in some respects, what we're seeing on the issues, you know, w- with SVB and, and Republic Bank is they didn't, they have bonds that don't match their maturity in the mark-to-market issue, right? Well, if, if go back to long-term capital, those of you around back then. Uh, 1998 long-term capital failed, so the Fed came in and provided abundant liquidity, and well, so you had new unintended consequences, which was the bubble, the dot-com bubble. So you know, if, if the Fed basically puts out little fires one by one, there are always going to be unintended consequences. I, I think the Fed pausing uh, could create unintended consequences. I mean, no one was even thought about matching maturities of the bonds held versus depositors until you got to run on the banks. There'll be, if, if, there'll be other consequences that I, I can't tell you what they will be, but they will be more negative than not acting. So in terms of what the market might be pricing in, just given, as Brian mentioned, the activity we're seeing today, is the market at expecting that the Fed will stay on their course tomorrow? What might be the investment implications there? Well, you could look at expectations for Fed fund futures and they have changed more often than I change my clothing. Um, and I change them daily almost, right? So, I mean, if you think about it, they, first they expected a easing in Fed Fund Futures. They expected to ease this June. Then four weeks ago, they expected no easing until next year. Now they expect imminent easing sometime this year. Fed Fund Futures do not accurately forecast what the market's expecting. Um, that's why, you know, this attention to the dot plot. And I want to see the dot plot, you know, not that they're going to absolutely stick to it. But if they show a lower number this year, I think that also risks credibility, too. I think that's going to be the most important data point tomorrow, not the number, but the dot plot. Or do they abandon the dot plot temporarily? That shows lack of knowledge. And that also could be pretty negative. Any thoughts, Brian, around what the markets might be telling us today heading into the decision tomorrow? 
Yeah, it is interesting that the the movement has been you know really extreme, and uh, yeah, market is back to thinking that the Fed will be cutting rates at a fairly early stage. But uh, you know, as as we saw in in a you know, previous press conference, Powell does not feel compelled to sort of jawbone the markets or try to you know force the market to agree with the Fed's say the say the dot plot. So his attitude is, yeah, I mean, if you think the economy is, you know, we think the economy will do okay. If you think the economy is going into recession and we're going to cut rates, you know, that's that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. Mm-hmm. But he's not there to, you know, to to try to change people's mind. Again, I I think the, the message will, will be key. And I think uh, it will still be that, you know, the Fed is, uh, you know, aims to get inflation down, that this is their number one priority: is to reestablish price stability, and I, I expect you know Powell will give us that message tomorrow. I think Brian's spot on. I mean, if, if I can use an analogy, you know, what's going to happen if I go to a ball game and they're calling balls and strikes? Who do you listen to, the umpire or the pitcher? You know, I want the guy who makes the call, not the guy who hopes he, he gets the call right. So I want to I want to see the dot plot. I don't really care where Fed fund futures go. So we have just a few minutes remaining. Uh, we'll give our guest, Brian Ed Kirsner the final word. But anything you would like to leave our listeners with before we close out today? I should say from uh, you know investment perspective in this environment, does uh, suggest you should be at least a bit cautious in, in your investments. So um, you know, regardless of what the Fed is doing tomorrow, uh, we expect volatility to remain high. And we're putting emphasis on on higher quality investments, especially in fixed income, you know, uh, it may be a good time to check your portfolio and make sure that you're not taking excessive risks. That's great guidance, Brian. Thank you for that. Before we close out, Ed, the final word to you. It is quickly. Um, stocks are expensive, about 10 to 15 percent. Consensus expectations are still that earnings are going to be up this year and up next year. If you look at every recession in history, earnings go down. So everyone's expecting a soft landing in earnings. That's the risk of the market. The good news is that historically bond yields peak about a year before the Fed eases. And easing in 24, if the Fed is successful, seems possible. And you got, you know, risk, riskless 10-year bonds at um, 3.7 or so. The, the risk reward there becomes pretty attractive. Credit spreads have also uh, moved up. They've widened over the past couple of weeks. So selective use of credit spread in fixed income. I, th- I think the, first, the best risk reward right now is in credit excuse me, is in duration than credit. And the biggest risk probably is in equity. Well, Ed Kirshner, Brian Rose, I promised a wide-ranging conversation. We indeed achieved that. Thank you very much for joining us here on UBS On Air Market Moves for covering all of the ground that you did and looking forward to keeping in touch as the economic environment progresses. It would be great to have a follow-up conversation with you both at some point. Thanks. been great to be back at my old home. Excellent. Thank Thanks, you Dan. again, Brian. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.